please open up your Bibles to Mark 1. Our sermon text for today is Mark 1, verses 16 through 20. If you would like to use the Pew Bible in front of you, you can find that in page 785. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Galilee he saw Simon and Andrew, the, bo- the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. What is the cost of following Christ? What must we give up in order to obey Christ? What must we give up in submission to Christ? Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say in his classic book, what is the cost of discipleship? Bonhoeffer was an early 20th century Lutheran theologian. He was a part of a movement known as the Neo-Orthodox Movement, a response to liberal theology that dominated the divinity schools in Germany at his time. He loved his home country, and he loved his church. Bonhoeffer lived during the period of the Nazis, while they ruled Germany, and he opposed them vehemently. During World War II, Bonhoeffer was invited to join the faculty at Union Seminary in New York City. War was raging in Europe, but America experienced relative peace. But while in America, Bonhoeffer felt convicted that the German church was suffering under great oppression and he needed to be with them. Bonhoeffer joined strong religious and political opposition to Nazism. And after a failed plot to assassinate Hitler, Bonhoeffer was arrested and sentenced to death. And on April 9th, 1945, sounds like the end of the war, doesn't it? Nazi regime was collapsing and Bonhoeffer was hanged at age 39, my age. Bonhoeffer's most influential work was undoubtedly his book, The Cost of Discipleship, where he prophetically says about himself, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Such an accurate description of his life. And yes, also such an 
accurate description of the cost of following Christ, the cost of discipleship. Does the call of coming to someone to die appeal to you? Did your initial call to faith seem like a call to die? Is your walk with Christ today a walk characterized by death to self? Does the Christianity around you look like a Christianity that is walking towards death? Here's our guiding thought for today. The call to follow Christ is a call to die. And through the call, Christ provides grace and sacrifice. Discipleship is a call of grace. Discipleship is a call to grace. Discipleship is a call enabled by grace. Notice in our text, in verse 16, where Jesus' ministry begins. He's not in the temple, is he? Or in a synagogue. He's not in a castle, in a palace. No. He will get to the synagogue soon enough. But right now, Jesus is where the people are. At the Sea of Galilee. By the way, the Sea of Galilee was a picturesque, picturesque lake filled with life, natural beauty, and fishing. Thousands of fishermen would gather at the Sea of Galilee daily to work. A hard profession. But a profession that could be rather lucrative. Some fishermen would fish basically for their immediate needs. But some would have entire fishing businesses, moving hundreds of people. So at any given day that you would walk up to the Sea of Galilee, you would see thousands of people fishing, working for their living. Jesus begins his ministry among the people. He didn't go to the religious circles. He didn't go to the seminaries. He didn't choose the political circles either. He didn't look for the kings and authorities. He chose to be around regular folks like you and I. Two of these folks were Andrew and Simon. Simon we know well. He's also known as Peter, and he went on to become one of Jesus' closest disciples and a leader in the early church. Andrew, his brother, we know less about, but, we, but, but he would become indeed a fisher of men. In, in the Gospel of John, we learn that it is Andrew who calls Peter to consider Christ. He goes up to his brother and he says, we have found the Messiah. When the Greeks are inquiring about Jesus, it is Andrew who brings them to Christ, who tells them your time 
has not yet come. Jesus approaches these two men as they are working, casting their nets. And he issues a call to them. He issues them the call to discipleship. A call, friends, that he issues to you and I. This is a call to every man. We're all called to follow Christ. Yes, there is a unique element to the call we're going to see in our text today. These men were apostles. And this call is no longer present in the church. But the call to discipleship is. And Christ is calling you today to be his disciple. It it is not a coincidence that you came into this building today. It is not a coincidence that you are here today. Christ sought you. Christ brought you. And Christ is telling you, follow me. Come after me. So, what is Jesus' call to discipleship? So It's important that we consider that. Because if this call is on us, if we're all responsible to answer to this call, it's important that we consider what is this call to discipleship. First of all, Jesus' call to discipleship is a call to a relationship with Christ. We must not miss this. The call Jesus issues to all of us is first and foremost a call to himself and not to his service. You know the story of Martha and Mary, right? Martha chooses to serve Jesus, but Mary chooses Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary chose The good portion. There is a time to be Martha. But the essence of the Christian life is Mary. In verse 17, Jesus approaches these two fishermen and says, follow me. This was an an uncommon call for a rabbi. Rabbis usually would say, listen to me. Rabbis are teachers. And so was Jesus. But Jesus didn't only teach with words. He taught with his life. I recently was having a conversation with my mom. And she asked me who had been the greatest influence in my life when it comes to ministry. So how how did I discern and receive and how was I shaped the call to the ministry. I think my mom probably expected me to say some seminary professor or some former pastor, but I said, Mom, it was Dad. And and she was surprised because Dad hadn't been a pastor officially to me in many decades. But growing up, my dad took on not just the role of a pastor in my life, but one of a 
discipler. I knew his sermons, and they were very good. They still are. But I also knew the man behind the sermon. That there was, that was value. His sermons were precious because I'm, I knew a man who lived what he preached. And what's more important than that, the man behind the sermons knew me, loved me, invested in me, shaped me. Friends, that is worth a thousand seminary degrees. To know the messenger when the messenger is the message. Remember we said last week, the gospel is not just a message about Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. When we receive the gospel, we receive Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we know God. Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these, in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. And we're going to see more and more Jesus' gentle and lowly hearts in the weeks ahead. Heart in the weeks ahead. In Ephesians 4, 2, Paul lists several vices. And he tells the believers in Ephesus, this is not how you learned Christ. Interesting, right? Paul doesn't say, this is not how you learn from Christ. Paul says, this is not how you learned Christ. What is Paul referring to here? The relationship with Christ shapes us. The relationship with Christ makes us more like Christ. Philippians 3, 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Friends, Jesus' call to ministry is first and foremost a call to himself. So friend, in your life of ministry, are you forgetting to know Christ? Are you so busy serving like Martha? That you're forgetting the good portion? Is your life characterized by a growing relationship with God? Are His words creating deeper roots in your heart? Are they shaping you? Do you have a greater desire for God, for godliness? Do you have a greater love for God's people? Those questions come first. And then there's the question of ministry. Friends, there is nothing greater, nothing sweeter, nothing more beneficial for yourself, for your family, for your vacation, for your vocation, for your church, than for you 
to know Christ. Gentlemen, your wives need you to know Christ. Your children need you to know Christ. Knowing Christ puts all things in their right perspective, in their right place. Your ministry is not a gift to Christ unless Christ is a gift to you first. On the collective aspect of a call, a church's first call is also to know Christ. We're not looking to fill our ministries with those who are professionals, but with those who are pious. We're not looking for experts, we're looking for the godly. The leaders in our church first must know Christ and also make Him known. We don't have a man-centered ministry at our church, our ministries are Christ-centered. Yes, Him we serve, and yes, it is His cause we embrace. A church that puts service before Christ is a church that is going to put the interest of self before the interest of Christ. A church that seeks to first know Christ is a church that will put the interest of Christ before the interest of self. And friends... This is the key to unity. This is the key to a healthy church. But the call, Jesus' call to discipleship, is also a call to be equipped by Christ. The most shocking aspect of Jesus' calling is not that he calls all men to follow him, but that he calls those who are utterly inadequate and unqualified. Look again at verse 17. He does not call those who are equipped to be fishers of men. He does not go after the skill. He does not go after the able. Instead, he says, I will make you. It's passive language, right? I, it's for the, for the, for the objects, I will make you fishers of of men. Christ equips us for ministry. Christ enables us for ministry. He is the one who makes regular fishermen become fishers of men. Christ equips through the Spirit. Ephesians 4 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. These gifts are what we call the gift of the Spirit or spiritual gifts. If you are a believer, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you have the gift of the Spirit. We are all useful. We are all different members of the same body. Christ also equips through the church, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And who are the saints here in this passage? It is you. It is I. 
We are the saints. You are called to the work of ministry. Friends, there is a misconception in church often that the job of the congregation is to watch and the job of the leaders, pastors, and deacons is to do ministry. That is not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls the leaders of the church to equip the church, every member a minister, every member a ministry, a minister for the work of ministry. You are called to the work of ministry. Do you feel inadequate? Do you feel like this calling is beyond your abilities? Well, welcome to the club. Inadequacy does not disqualify one from following Christ. It actually is a prerequisite. Low spiritual confidence in self and high spiritual confidence in Christ is a sign of humility. And humility will take you very far in the Christian walk. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5. Paul is defending his apostleship. And he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from God, but our sufficiency is from God. A humble discipler is a powerful discipler because a humble discipler in his strength recognizes the grace of God and in his weakness recognizes his need for the grace of God. We need both. We need to recognize that the Lord gives us strength to do great things, but we also need to recognize that in our weakness, we point all to Christ. This is very encouraging for parents, isn't it? Because our children are the first ones to see our strength and our weakness. And when we are strong, we're able to tell them we're strong because the Lord has enabled us to be strong. And when we are weak, we're able to tell them in our weakness, God's power is made perfect. Parenting is a calling, right? To point beyond ourselves. To point to a greater father. To point to a greater shepherd of the soul. And we can do that because of the gospel. In strength and in weakness. In his book, Mark Dever, Discipling, Mark Dever says... Discipling in the gospel means that sometimes you lead the way in confessing weakness or sin. By doing so, you demonstrate what it looks like not to find your justification in yourself, but in Christ. And you live in transparently, you live transparently and honestly. The key to humility in discipleship is a deep faith in the gospel. We are not called to be strong. We are called to rely on Him who is strong. Friends, when we serve, we serve confessing our weakness. We serve confessing our sin. We serve confessing our brokenness. Why? 
Because when we do that, and when we place our faith in Christ, we're equipped. We're equipped because, as Martin Luther would say, we are simply beggars telling other beggars where we have found bread. That's who we are. God is good. He provides all the bread we need. We don't produce the bread ourselves, but we can point others to him who does. Friends, the gospel is the incredible message of him who is strong, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, becoming fully man, taking on humility to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, this is a message of the strong, condescending to reach the weak, you and I. The message of the gospel tells us that all who trust in Christ must not be embarrassed of their weakness, must not be ashamed, but must know that in Christ our sins are forgiven, but must know that in Christ the penalty is taken from us so we can minister without trying to pretend we are someone else. We can minister without boasting in our strength. Instead, we boast in the Lord. We can minister and foster an environment where all can say, we can do this. Because if the weakest of us is empowered by the gospel of Christ, we all can minister. Friends, the call of Christ is a call for the disqualified. It is a call for the spiritually bankrupt. It is a call for those who do not rely on themselves. It is a call for those who look up and see Christ. It is a call for those who would say, that is my righteousness. That is my hope. That is my strength. Can you be a minister? Can you have an impactful ministry in this church? If you trust Christ, if you believe in him, yes. However, if you have the greatest abilities, if you have the greatest resume, and you do not trust Christ, friends, you will never produce eternal fruit. So the call today is for you to humble yourself. Look to Christ, rest in his finished work, and follow him. And, this is, and, and it is with this gospel that Jesus is calling his disciples to primarily rescue men. We are jars of clay who carry in ourselves a precious message. Through this message, we become fishers of men. So, you have the Spirit, you have the church, you have the gospel, you have Christ, you're called to ministry. How do you start? Start by being present. Start by being involved in the life, in the life of the church. Spiritual gifting is not primarily recognized by filling out charts and 
forms of spiritual gifts inventories. Those can be helpful, but spiritual gifts are figured out, are understood when we seek to serve. And the church affirms our ability to serve. Needs will arise, and if you are present and willing, the opportunities for ministry will abound. Start by asking myself, another leader in the church, to help you discern what ministry the Lord is calling you to do. To help understand where there are needs in the church that you can fill. Friends, there is more work in the ministry here than we can handle. There is more work for the ministry in this city than we can handle. There is a greater need in the world right now than we can handle. The harvest is plentiful. We're praying for you. The primary, primary call that Jesus issues here is the call to rescue the souls of men, to be a fisher of men. This is a call to share the gospel, a call to preach the gospel to a lost world. Now, this is an interesting imagery that Jesus is evoking here, isn't it? Fishing is great for everyone, right? Except for the fish. Many of you fish as a hobby. But what Jesus is alluding to here is fishing as a profession. Fishing is hard work. It is not like shepherding. Sure, sheeps, sheep are Foolish, but they want to be led. Fish fights. In the Old Testament, the picture of fishing is often one of condemnation. Fish do not want to be hooked. Fish do not want to fall into the nets. Remember Habakkuk 1.15? We studied a couple months ago where the condemnation of Israel was depicted with fishing imagery. The wicked brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his nets. He gathers them into his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. The message these men were to share was a message of condemnation. The gospel condemns if rejected. But it's also a message of salvation if accepted. Very often, the Lord works salvation through condemnation. We saw that in the history of Israel. Gospel ministry is hard work. But if it is a call from God, He will give us the grace we need to do it faithfully. There is often a romance that surrounds the call to ministry. But friends... Romance needs to turn into reality. And this reality needs to be met. God is calling us to meet this. Discipleship is a call to grace, yes. But discipleship is also a call to sacrifice. God does not call us to be part-time Christians. Remember a quote from Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If God is not all in our lives, 
He is nothing. The call to discipleship is a call to completely abandon all things for the sake of Christ. Even good things are bad if they compete with our ability to follow Christ. Look at verse 19. Again, Jesus meets two brothers fishing at the Sea of Galilee. These brothers certainly had a stable fishing business. It was a family business that they had with their father, Zebedee. Very often, fishermen were skilled not only in catching fish, but also in business. They often spoke many languages because it advanced their ability to do trade. Zebedee and his sons had boats and hired laborers. We often hear of James and John referred to as the sons of Zebedee. Apparently, their father was a prominent figure in the community. And in the midst of all their apparent success and stability, Christ calls them to follow him. And what do they do? Look at verse 20. Immediately, they leave all behind and follow Christ. This is an incredible response. I mean, think about your own life. What would motivate you to leave your career, to leave your job, to leave your stability, to leave everything you know, to leave your family? On the spot, immediately. Perhaps money? Fame? Position? Jesus promised none of that. What did Jesus promise these men? He promised them a cross. A cross to bear. In the eyes of the world... A terrible deal. But in the eyes of Christ, a clear evidence of faith. Family, work, relationships, service. This can all potentially deter us from following the Lord. Most of us will not fail to follow Christ because of vices. But some of us might fail to follow the Lord because of virtues that are supposed to be secondary but become ultimate. The perennial danger of loving the gifts over the gift giver. Loving the creation over the creator. Jesus' radical call is one of undivided allegiance. Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Christ, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, 
Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It almost seems like Jesus wants to discourage people from following him, doesn't it? Jesus' discipleship strategy would not be a bestseller in most Christian bookstores today. Jesus is not seeking to discourage anyone from following him, but he is revealing that following Christ is not a flippant decision we make unadvisedly. Following Christ is a calling. And when the call is there, no obstacle, no obstacle will stop a man from laying down his life for the sake of Christ. Jesus' call to discipleship is also a call to redirect the treasures of the heart. Clearly, this call was deeply sacrificial, perhaps even impossible to fulfill. We love too many things that are important, but not ultimate. Jesus' call is to keep our hearts from idolatry. Matthew 6, 21, from where your, for where your heart or your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is interesting how often Jesus spoke of leaving family. A temptation many of us have is to idolize family. But why? Because family is a good thing. But when your love for family rivals your love for Christ, or when your family in any way hinders your ability to follow Christ, the call is to forsake even family. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, strong language, his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters. Yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus' call is not a call to neglect family, and work, and relationships. He himself cared for his mother when he was on the cross. He helped his disciples become better fishermen. Throughout his ministry, he spent time with people. But when any of these things sought to distract him from his calling, he completely rejected them. Christianity is not a shopping cart where you can put a few things, add a few things to other things. Christianity is not one among many religions, worldviews, and philosophies you may place in your shopping cart Christianity is exclusive. It leaves no room for rivalry. Christ has no rivals, even 
at the heart level. My dad often tells me the story of how my grandfather, who was a pastor in my hometown in Brazil, along with a committee from his church, once visited a famous witch doctor in my hometown. Dad tells me that this witch doctor received my grandfather and the other believers from the church. They sang at the cross to her. They shared the message of the gospel and called her to faith and repentance. And they gave her a Bible. She received them and she received the gift gladly for her answer to their visit and to their plea was incredibly sad and disheartening. She said, I know that the gospel is the truth, but I cannot follow the gospel. Her life was too entrapped with her idolatry for her to let go of her nets and of her family. Her fame Popularity, wealth, all depended on her pursuit of idols. And so, her treasure could never be Christ. Now, perhaps most of, all of us are not tempted to follow the idols of witchcraft. But I wonder if in some ways, in our hearts, there are idols that need to be broken. I wonder if some of us find ourselves in a similar place today. I know that the gospel is the truth, but I cannot follow the gospel because I love my life so much, because I love my possessions so much, because I love my family so much, because I love myself so much. Jesus says, even his own life, that we must, we must hate. We perhaps know that the gospel is the truth, but our earthly treasure must be keeping with that truth. Christ must be enthroned in our hearts over every idol. Friends, we must look at Christ and treasure Him. The great love that He has shown us. His life for ours. His death in our place. He was raised so that we too could be raised. He sits at the right hand of the Father and has given us His Spirit. Friends, this message is worth letting go of all things. May we enter heaven with nothing, but may we enter heaven with Christ. Friends, there is nothing in this world that is worth keeping. If by keeping that, we'll lose Christ. Which leads me to my last point. Jesus' call to discipleship is a call to conversion. Some of us here today do not know Christ. 
Some of us here today may not even be aware that we don't know, do, we not, do not know Christ. You cannot know Christ if you're not first converted to Christ. You cannot serve Christ if you haven't been transformed by Christ. Friends, if anything in our lives would keep us from following Christ. Today is the day to forsake that. If anything in our lives would keep you from saying, I want Jesus, I want the forgiveness that I can find in Him, I want to be reconciled with God, I want to experience no condemnation in Christ, I want to, bed, I want to go to bed at night, put my head on my pillow, and know that God is for me and not against me. Friends, you must let go of every earthly treasure in order to gain Christ. You can do that today. You can confess your sins today. And you can come to Christ and believe in Him. We met four men today, Andrew, Simon, James, and John. These men went on to live for Christ, love Christ, treasure Christ, they left everything behind. At the end of their lives, what did they gain? Death. James was the first of the apostles to be martyred. Subsequently, Andrew and Simon did as well. John, at the end of his life, found himself in exile. Alone. They came to Christ, and what did they gain? In the eyes of the world, they gained death. In the eyes of Christ, they gained life and life eternal. The call, call to follow Christ, is a call that bid these men die but in dying in dying to self they gain Christ may that be true of us today may that be true of us at the end of our lives may we persevere with Christ would you pray with me father how we need Christ in order to have Christ lord we love so many things Lord, we would keep so many earthly treasures and they would cause us to sink. Father, we need to know what you are calling us to do with our lives today. What it looks like to die to self and be alive in Christ. Help us, Lord, individually as a church. Father, I pray that no unbelieving heart would be left without faith today. Lord, grant faith. Grant faith to all of us so that we would treasure Christ more than all things. We pray in His name. Amen.